Good morning and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of Leadership and Insurance Podcasts. This is the podcast where we speak to technology leaders from the world of insurance and insurtech. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by Jizen, CTO of Superseeds. Jizen, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good, good. I know I've already asked you how you're doing, but just for the listeners, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> um, but look, why don't we start with uh, just an intro to yourself, your career. Um, I think it's a really interesting background and in how you ended up in the, the world of insurance and insurtech. Okay, well, I was originally a musician. Uh, I'm quite nerdy about music, um, but unfortunately, there's no money in that career path it's not really the career path so i had to get a real job uh i ended up doing computers because i have always done a bit of computing stuff uh, and yeah for the past 12 years i've been working at different agencies and then different uh startups and often fintech things um, and then i wanted to go off my own and do something else so i uh, went looking for some people to partner with to go and build a, a boring business um, and by by boring i mean not uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning or crypto or any of those things that people get excited about in silicon valley but instead a business where we're solving real problems in a real industry which translates to real money because it's a business after all uh, so, yeah, we started the business uh, almost five years ago, four or five years ago. Uh, I was the first person to go full time on it. And then as soon as we had just a smidgen of funding, uh, we recruited our first full time engineer. Uh, and we've been growing steadily since then. Now we're about 25 people all around the world. It was my decision initially to um, build a, a completely remote team so that we can pick the best people from wherever they happen to be and wherever they like to be which is really awesome for for picking great people and also for retaining them so they don't have to choose between a happy life and a happy sort of work situation mm. so. interesting i never knew you came from a uh, musical background that's that's new to me um, makes your background even more non-traditional into the world of uh, technology. And um, I guess for the listeners, it would be good to just kind of provide a bit of insight on who are Superseed and, and what is the mission? Uh, who are we? Well, we are a lovely group of people who like to get <laughs> things done um, in, in a sensible, uh, sustainable way. Uh, we're all very nice to each other and we all work diligently and uh, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into our work. Um, what what we eschew is this um, very common situation in our industry where a big organization will declare, okay, we're going to make the new reinsurance thing. Everyone's going to adopt this. It's going to be amazing. Now, give us five years and a bunch of money. Um, we're going to ship it out to uh, some you know, offshore consulting company. And when we come back, it's going to be the best thing ever. And it, inevitably, it never is. Um, and there's, there's so much vaporware in our industry. So one thing that really sets Superseed apart from everybody else is that 
we're actually building something and people are actually using it. So I think I think that's that is going to translate to staying power. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty confident that it's it's gonna in the end it's we're still gonna be king of the hill. I feel pretty <laughs> good about that. Um, I think that that also describes our mission. So our mission is to you know just create a great reinsurance product, um, and it's quite quite an expansive product because um, you know currently Cedens are using it, uh, brokers are using it, reinsurers are using it, um, and in slightly different ways because we we address the whole space, um, uh, you know, in, in different ways for different people. Uh, and it, we will likely expand our offering um, also. But, uh, you know, we, we, we want people to actually enjoy using a software product. Uh, and, we, and we've used some of the software products in the reinsurance space. Um, that, that people actually use and and it's a really dreadful situation i remember we, we went into an office um a few years ago of a software vendor who yeah. provides uh i don't want to give away who they are or <laughs> what it is but they they have the software solution that lots of big companies use so lots of you know workers at these companies have to use this thing and they were really thrilled about how quickly the, the data loads. So they would open a new window and they would talk for about 30 seconds as the data is loading. So, oh yeah, it's really great because, you know, we click here and in, in just 30 seconds, you can see this table of values. And it's like, wow, 30 seconds for a page to load. That's, <laughs> that's tragic. And people have to deal with this. <laughs> you don't, you don't deal with this when you open like Instagram or something. And that isn't to say that, we're trying to build Instagram for reinsurance. It's still a very serious businessy thing, um, and we care very much about correctness. But you know, you shouldn't have to suffer through really poor ergonomics just because it's a boring business thing. It should still feel great to use, uh, and that's that's part of our mission. <laughs> no, amazing. It's, um, it's it's very interesting the the reinsurance space for me. Someone that's new to insurance, you know, I'm getting my head around all of the different complexities of different ways you can insure and um yeah i think what you guys are doing certainly from a technology perspective is, is very interesting to me but we actually had you guys on about two years ago um and obviously i've brought you on this one to talk about the tech part of, of insure tech and, and you've probably already answered that but you know a lot's happened in the past two years for you guys you've grown you've hit lots of milestones and I'm sure you've got many stories to tell, but we only have half an hour or so. But, um, you know, lots of partnerships made, lots of um, collaborations with other SaaS platforms. Like, how has the last kind of two years been for you? It seems like it's been incredibly successful, but it's been a very difficult market, a very turbulent market. But you guys just seem to be unfazed by that. It, it has been a bit of a wild ride the past couple of years. I think the the successful parts have been where we work closely with our customers um, and really understand what problems they're facing um, that's also something that i think sets us apart is that we spend a lot of time thinking about what problem are we actually solving um, not you know what is interesting or sexy to do but what's actually going to make users lives easier uh, and then we we iterate really quite quickly 
on potential solutions and potential designs. Um, I know that some of the great feedback that we've got from some of our clients is that um, they've never worked with a software software vendor like us where uh, they can put forward a problem and then within you know a few days we'll have some some early concepts and some ideas of how to address their problem um, and how that can be generalized to uh, other customers also because we we want to make a, a great product for everybody um, and then it could be even sort of the following week that we have a rough implementation so they get to actually play with it, it becomes a tangible thing they can interact with um, and then they can really see the vision for what this is going to be in the future. I think people really buy into the the vision of Superseed of what is going to be in the future because, mm. um, you know, it, we, ha- we have taken a, a kind of rough and ready approach at times, but that's um, so that we don't sit in isolation for years doing nothing like a lot of companies and then go bust like a lot of companies. Um, <laughs> we actually build things and the people actually use them. And we iterate in small steps and improve things over time. Uh, so yeah, I, I think those those small iteration steps and um, having a really great customer success team has really benefited us. That's that's something I'm quite pleased with. So we just because we're a software vendor doesn't mean it's all about software. It's it's about people and relationships. And I know that we've invest a lot in maintaining building and maintaining great relationships with with our users especially these kinds of like um power users that you have in a company you might have a huge company lots of people in it but just a few power users doing a certain job through super seat and they become a kind of champion internally they'll be sort of the early adopter figure um who then champions the product of the, the rest of the company and that's how we gain adoption Mm. Nice, nice, and and the, the technology, as far as I'm aware, um, internet sources. So correct me if I'm wrong, but um, obviously you guys can create, validate, broker, and quote reinsurance submissions in, in literally now minutes instead of months, which is what your platform can do. Uh, I want I wanted to ask your opinion on is there. And always get a different answer for the world of insurance, but is there a particular tech debt or, or tech innovation gap in reinsurance? You know, it's it's higher up the value chain of insurance. Is that why it's 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 been kind of ignored to late? I'm just quite curious why this rate of adoption, which is incredible, has been so slow to, to come to the, the party. Wow, that's yeah, that's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's partly because it's an unsexy industry so Mm. it's at least in the software space it's um relatively forgotten about uh you know people starting startups in software don't you know it's it's not often they'll think you know what i should go into reinsurance most people haven't heard of it it's still quite you know very common that if i someone asks what do you do and i say well i run a software companies oh what kind what, what do you build well it's software for the reinsurance industry reinsurance what's that oh it's like you know insurance but for the insurance <laughs> policies that insurance companies will sell to you like oh wow so who insures the reinsurance deals ah and then that whole conversation so i think it's yeah. just unknown uh, for a lot of people so not a lot of um 
sort of entrepreneurship goes in that direction. Mm. Uh, I hadn't heard of it before I met my partners, Ben and Jared. Um, but when they explained it, I was like, wow, that is fabulously unsexy. So there must be money there. Turns out there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely rife for disruption. Um, and you saw that and, um, and have clearly capitalized on it in, in such a short space of time. Um, and and the great thing, the great thing about that is that uh, you, you don't, you only need to like barely succeed as an mm. entrepreneur. I mean, the, the, you don't need to like disrupt so much. You don't need a, a massive sea change. You just need to make it decent, make it good because <laughs> the status quo is terrible. Um, so there's, there's like, you know, so much ground that you can cover um with with relatively little effort as long as the effort is sensible so mm. i know that a lot of startups have decided oh we're going to um you know we're going to place reinsurance deals on the blockchain and and again this is this is like the the sexy side of software and um and venture capital uh, because it it sounds interesting. Oh, a blockchain, an interesting technology. And um, if you ask someone why, what is the benefit? What does that give you? Uh, not so many answers. No one really knows why that why it's good to have a blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. You just get a lot of hand waving. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. Because <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't okay. know what that means. I don't know what it means when somebody says we're going to put it on the. I, I know in some respects, but for that, I'm just like, well, what's the benefit? You know, that there is there is very little. Um, you know, if you if you're using it as a distributed database, the performance is pretty terrible. Um, and as it turns out, as we work with real customers, a, a lot of our work is, for example, um, passing and processing uh, like policy bordero sort of submissions. So it's like mm-hmm. spreadsheets with millions of rows of insurance policies. Um, and it's usually quite flaky data and we have to like process this data and perform analysis on it for our for our users. Um, and just like getting that data in and passing it is um, a somewhat complex problem because uh, you have to do XML passing at, you know, stream passing of that um, at, you know, with, with good performance and it's, that's non-trivial. Um, if you do it with a blockchain, it would be sort of like not even workable, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was really getting into the tech. I love it. The um, the other piece I wanted to ask you on, which I only found out when we met the, the SuperSeed team a, a couple of weeks ago. So we've only spoken a couple of times before this podcast, but we focus a lot, as you know, on, on culture on this podcast and, and it's something that supersede seem to have got in my opinion um, bang on but it's not you can't you can't say the same for for the industry as a whole and it's something that i'm really enjoying navigating through as i speak to more ctos of insurance businesses but one thing that jumped out at me was that when you hired your first engineer and you set out to create a remote first company um you 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 done it with the mind of a particular programming language haskell and Haskell, you know, like not like blockchain, but I guess the more the why would you do it on Haskell? You know, Haskell is a very powerful 
language I appreciate from functional programming. It has uh, it's very it's very powerful language for those who value correctness, conciseness, and, and maintainability in their code. But just taking it back, like what was the thinking behind using Haskell? I mean, there's for one, for me, there's a lack of of developers that actually use it. So there's a straight away a challenge that you know from a recruitment consultant that's my first thing I would think of you know how many of these people are available to help me but what was your thinking in, in doing that at the very beginning yeah so I would say Haskell's kind of killer app there isn't really mm. a killer app but it's killer feature is long-term maintainability mm. so because we can uh rely so much on the sophisticated compi compiler that we use, we can make changes to the system uh, with a lot of confidence at any point, regardless of scale, which you can't do with most other mainstream languages. So if, if, if we were to write supersede in Ruby, and I like Ruby, I, I've written mm. a lot of Ruby, uh, you'll, you'll, build it initially you know with this greenfield project and you think oh this is really lovely everything works nicely and i know where everything is but after a couple of years it becomes impossible to change anything because you can't manage the complexity of the system mentally whereas in which and you have to do that in most mainstream languages because there is no tooling or technology to offload that um so those sort of mental cycles you know, you don't like in, in Haskell, you don't need to keep the entire system in your head. You can offload quite a lot of it to the technology. Uh, it, it really supports you in that way. So we can actually make changes to things over time. Uh, and business is all about change. So I, I think this is this is not just a theoretical thing. This is really born out in practice. Anyone who's gone on a software endeavor will, will know that like, every few years the development team will decide oh you know this is just it's not workable anymore we need to rewrite this from scratch mm. and that's that's usually a disaster it's usually the worst thing you can do so um, instead of doing that uh, you just suffer through incredibly long periods of development uh, and then you, you fail to demeet uh, the, the demands of change in your industry and then ultimately fail. Uh, the number of rewrites that Supersede has gone through is exactly zero. There's no need to rewrite the application. Um, we rewrite parts of it. We swap out parts. We re-implement parts. We refactor parts. That's all normal. But we don't need to do a ground-up rewrite, probably ever. Um, so, so that's the, the main reason for Haskell. In terms of the, the talent market, which also is a, a valid concern that a lot of people would have, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually a similar thing um, sort of maybe about 15 years ago when, when Ruby was taking off. People would ask the question, why should I, why should I build something in Ruby? You know, there are not so many Ruby developers. Why wouldn't I just build it in PHP? There are thousands of, of PHP developers. Yeah. And the answer is, how many developers do you need? Uh, do you need thousands? Do you need hundreds? Probably you need like two or three for your startup. Mm -hmm. um, even today, we have a, a relatively lean team. And you can get 
a lot more done with a smaller team, especially a smaller team who who know what they're doing. And I I do believe that our team are you know highly competent. They know what they're doing. They're very lovely people. So we don't need thousands of developers. We don't need hundreds of developers. We need some, and they need to be competent. And that's that's working great for us. Um, now on uh, you know another interesting sort of facet of that is. Uh, for whatever reason, well, I, I know our reasons, but it's hard to explain them. Haskell is a really attractive technology for, for developers to work with. A lot of developers would like to use Haskell, but there aren't so many companies using it, so there aren't many, aren't many jobs available. Uh, I know a lot of recruitment firms say that you know it's, it's hard to find good developers. A lot of companies say it's hard to find good developers. Uh, whereas, you know, at Superseed, if I put out an advert saying I'm hiring a developer, I'm pretty much immediately inundated with very high quality applications. So definitely more than I know what to do with. I think one thing I'm sad about is that I don't have capacity to hire all the brilliant people that <laughs> apply to work for us. And I, I'd love to, uh, and probably one day we will, but um, at the moment <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't have the same market constraints that a lot of companies have. And part of that, or be a big part of that, is by choosing Haskell to, to mm. build all of our tech with. It's very interesting to me. I mean, someone that considers himself to have worked across a lot of the stack when speaking to engineers, Haskell was one that, yes, I knew about. But when I looked into it more, I never realized how long it's been around for. Way back to the 1990s, 1980s? Is it as old as that? Yeah, I think it was maybe yeah. like 89 or 99 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, a a so logician older Haskell. than... Sorry? There was a logician called Haskell, Haskell Curry. Um, it was named yeah, after him. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, th those, those names pop up a lot in yeah. the technology. So currying mm. is also like um, a technique that you use while programming to do with how many arguments were applied to a function um mm. yeah. <laughs> so no, no we, we could probably talk about it all day i get the sense but um when i talk when i kind of touched on before we get into that around culture on on the podcast and how you guys have got it spot on and you know don't seem like you're struggling against the, the war on talent as such that is looking for, as you say, PHP, Python, JavaScript guys. These guys are in abundance, but they come at a cost and, and there's lots of them. And it makes your job difficult to, to sift through the ones that are actually really good for your business. But in the context of, I guess, when I when I partner with, with startups that are recruiting for engineers, I see personally, you know, and I won't name any clients here because, of course, that's not right. But, um, you know, I see a lot of bad practice in terms of how we examine, how we test engineer skill set and how we onboard them. And, and I'm, again, it just seems like you've got it nailed on in terms of how you bring them into the business and how you keep your engineers happy. Like, what do you think it is that we're not talking about when it comes to hiring engineers or other techies um, for culture, in your opinion? Like, you know, my stance on it is that these guys need to jump through hoops and they need to do a timed tests that need to get 100% on. If they get 95%, they don't get spoken to. They, they almost get treated like a, a statistic and not a person, in my opinion. But I just wanted to get your opinion on where we're going wrong with hiring for engineers and, and technology people. 
Yeah, so I think I think it's apt to describe it as a statistic and not a person. Mm. Uh, I think I think what it comes down to is a lot of companies just don't care. And um, I'm sure it would hurt their sensibilities to hear that. But the reality is a lot of companies just don't care. I, I've seen it that many times where companies complain that they can't find good talent. And then their hiring process is they get a bunch of resumes in uh, and they they send out this like technical challenge, which might take a few hours. And of course, the applicants aren't paid to sit mm-hmm. through this challenge. Um, and even if, uh, you know, if, if the applicant does well, often it just goes in the bin. Like I, I've sat I've sat on the other side of this where I've, I've seen recruiters do this. And it's just like, yeah, well, they, they pass the challenge, but I don't want to hire them anyway. So or the or the roles have already been filled, but we didn't care enough to tell the applicant that, um, you know, don't bother with that test because we're not actually hiring anymore. People just don't care because it doesn't cost the company anything. Um, and, you know, so a lot of companies have like questionable morals in this space. Um, you know, may, maybe if you're hiring sort of quote unquote at scale, maybe it's difficult yeah. to take a personalized approach uh, with so many applicants. Um, but I guess then you have to ask yourself, why are you hiring at scale? Why does your company need thousands of engineers? Probably it doesn't. Again, probably you just need a few um, and you should be hiring at a sustainable pace. In fact, the um, we're, we're seeing now a big market correction uh, in, in software in that previously um, – you know, everyone could be hired to do whatever because companies were hiring everybody they, they could. And now it's very difficult for people to find work because companies are realizing, oh, actually, that wasn't such a good idea. We should hire a few good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, how, how we approach hiring is is we try and treat everybody like people first and foremost. So, um, which is, is, is still hard because currently it's basically just me doing hiring at Superseed for, for technology anyway. Uh, and when I put out an advert, um, I expect um, the application to look like a human application. So not like, you know, dear sir slash madam or dear hiring manager. I mean, my name's always in the um, in the listing. So, but I get, you know, mostly, hi, Jason, um, I liked your post. Uh, I know about Superseed. I know about the technology. I know this and this and this. And, um, that almost always elicits a very you know human response from me so i go through one by one every application and respond to everybody or at least almost everybody it's a lot of work mm, yeah uh, and then the especially promising ones turn into uh, a phone call uh, where we we chat as people first and foremost if if it becomes a sort of let's look at what hiring you might look like then the um, the phone call will include some um, probing technology questions. Um, it's not exactly a technical interview. Yeah. Um, I don't say, okay, I'm going to sit and watch you, um, you know, implement some algorithm. Like it's not not a great approach. I think it's a bit too in, in, interrogatory. Uh, yeah. But there, there are usually questions that you can ask of people, I think in any industry, um, you know, describe some technical process and the ones 
who actually know what they're talking about can describe things usually in excruciating detail. Um, <laughs> the ones who who are pretenders start to get a bit hand wavy, and I think that comes across in conversation. Yeah. Um, so the people who do well there uh, usually um, progress. I mean, when I say do well, I mean where we both see a fit because they might be excellent but have ambitions beyond what we can provide and you know they've done well but it won't work so um you know the the process is always mutual we're evaluating the applicant and they're evaluating us as potential future colleagues so if, if we see a potential fit in, the, in that first phone call then we move to um a paid trial week with us on real work um which again probably wouldn't work for every company, um, especially if you're like hiring at scale. But uh, mm -hmm. for us, I, you know, we're finding that it's it's the most reliable way to um, to separate people who know stuff um, versus the people who know stuff and do stuff, because we mm -hmm. we all need to come to work and and focus and get our things you know done. Um, with with minimal hand holding, so we're a very autonomous team, which doesn't work for everybody, but that's our approach. Um, and it's also a really good opportunity for the the candidate to evaluate what it would be like for them to work with us, because it has to work both ways. Like, there's no point uh, somebody you know joining the team, and then after a few weeks, they realize that actually this is not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. so I'm going to leave and do something else. So that's, you know, even if a company is going to be selfish, like that's the company's just hurt themselves by hiring a bad fit. So it needs to be both ways. Um, and given the time investment of, you know, usually a week, um, it would be really immoral to not pay people. We, we don't do any unpaid take home mm. work because I just don't think it's fair. I've done a hell of a lot of unpaid take home work myself previously in my career. Um, you know that if you if you're applying to a bunch of places, yeah, uh, and and you're thinking in the back of your mind like, oh shit, rent rent will be due, and I got things to pay for, I've got overheads, nothing coming in, and I have to do all this unpaid work, implement a to do list and react sixteen times. <laughs> it's not it's not good. So I, I couldn't have that on my conscience to to get people to go away and do work for free. Um, the challenge can be that that people don't have a week to dedicate to this, um, especially if they're currently employed. What mm. what typically happens is those people will, you know, take a week of holiday. Um, or we try and find some arrangement. So we, we you know, we've done it a few times in the past where the person will just do like a few days and we'll try and evaluate them in, in a few days. Um, a week is, I think, probably the sweet spot um, yeah. from, from both sides. Um, very refreshing. I hope hope anyone that's listening to this that are, have those type of take home tests and have that process that I just don't think works. I don't. I think we talk about it a lot um, at FinPro. You know, treating candidates like humans. You know, when did it become so one way? You know, a job advert is a list of requirements that they want from you. But what about giving them the information that they need to know about you? Like as you say, come and work with us for a few days. We'll pay you and see if it's the right fit for you. Not you've got all these skills, we love you and we want you. You know, it's very, very one 
one way, very transactional still. And I think that's very refreshing. And uh, I think the best way is to do that, ask them technical questions and not just send them home, do a tech test. And, and they probably get a very good score, 90 to 95%, 85%. You just don't speak to them. And you just reject them. It's it's very inhumane. But um, I mean, how... Yeah, I guess, they get their feedback. They, they, they sit there wondering, like, oh, what did I do wrong? They get no feedback because it goes on to hacker rank or whatever uh, system it's used and it spits out a result, 85%. And it's and I've, I've been asked, speak about it quite passionately because I'm in the process of doing one at the moment, but um, I get asked a lot about where I went wrong and I'm just, I'd love to tell them, but I just don't get the feedback. And it's these guys have set aside more than 90 minutes. They've set aside two hours probably because they've done practice runs. They've, yeah, and it's... Um, and they get so close, but there's got to be a better way. And I'm just conscious of the time, but I guess as a finishing point, you do talk, you said it's a very apt way of describing that people or engineers, techies are referred to as more of a, a statistic. Like, how do we change it? How do we affect more collaboration? How do we remove that disconnect between a business and the tech side of the business? Like, at this point, it should be obvious to me, but it just doesn't still seem to be happening as often as it should. Like, what do you think? I think that change in mindset is really hard work. Mm. So, it, I mean, it's so deeply culturally ingrained in a lot of uh, business practices. I think it's still normal to refer to people as resources, which is which is silly. I mean, you mine a resource. You don't mine a person. Uh so, yeah, <laughs> when someone asks, like, oh, Jason, do you, do you need more resource on the team? Like, no, I, I could do with a, a couple extra hands. Like, <laughs> we could hire a couple of people. Um, but they're not resources. They're, they're professionals and they're colleagues. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to, to actually caring about what you do. So the last job ad- advertisement that I wrote, I got quite a lot of feedback on that advertisement from engineers, very experienced, capable engineers, saying it was by far the best job advert they've ever read. And it's not because I'm particularly talented. Um, you know, it's it's not exactly poetry, this advert, but it's just because I wrote it as a human. And uh, what was interesting for, for me at the time was another recruitment firm uh, wanted to work on my behalf and find some engineers for me, which I was skeptical of, but open to. And they said, can we write the, uh, the, the, the advert for this position? And I was quite busy. I didn't respond to them uh, as quickly as they'd liked. And they came back to me, a, 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 you know, the, the following day with, oh, Jason, we, we've written the advert. Um, can we use this? Can you approve this? And the advert looked a lot like most adverts that you'd see, um, just bullet points of technologies. Uh, and it's yeah. like, well, you must have experience in Docker, which we don't use. Must have experience in Kubernetes, which we don't use. Um, you must have experience doing agile and stand up, and which we don't do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff that actually doesn't apply to us at all, but was just yeah. listed because that's what people do. But no, no real sort of conscientious thought went into, is this actually accurate? Is this mm. actually appropriate for this document that I'm writing? They didn't care. And as it turns out, you know, the people that uh, that work uh, supersede, I need them to care. 
I need to hire caring people. And if the <laughs> if the people that you're trying to attract um, care, and then they see your advert was done in a very uncaring way, are you going to attract them? Probably not. So really, the best thing to do is like cut the the nonsense. Stop thinking. Well, you know, we do it this way because everybody does it this way. Just mm-hmm. think from first principles, what am I trying to achieve? I'm trying to attract people who really care about this job. So I'm going to describe in human words, the person I'm looking for with some constraints and with some flexibilities uh, and, you know, sort of solicit a human response from people. And all of a sudden the, the quality of um, everything, uh, you know, the quality of applications and then the whole process really goes up, but it starts with, the um you know the the manager the person hiring actually caring about the process and you know what's what's really fascinating also is that um i'm, I'm sure some studies were done on this but i don't have any to hand of course uh, mm. but as i understand it from experience anyway uh women tend not to apply to adverts if they don't fulfill all of the criteria listed Whereas men tend to yeah. just go, yeah, I could do that job, even if they, they don't fulfill all of it, they'll apply anyway, yeah. which I think is fine. But, um, you know, I, I would do the same. But it's it's a shame that for whatever reason, women are disadvantaged at that stage. And then the industry complains, well, why are there no women? It's like, well, because we have these really silly uh, job adverts that just list everything under the sun, whether or not it applies. And then a lot of women are just counting themselves out of the application pool, uh, which is just bad for everybody because you, you have mm. le- you know, a smaller candidate pool to choose from as an employer then. And so the way around that is to write a more human uh, advert. Yeah. Changing hearts and minds, um, cutting the nonsense and, and treating people like a human and writing more human adverts all seem very simple. Um, but we don't see it enough. Um, but look, that's a really great piece to finish on. Jazen, I'm conscious of, of your time. Thank you for coming on. I've been looking forward to this one and it's been great. So again, thank you for your time. Thanks, Kevin.